Welcome to Precision Medicine Forum Podcast, chatting with patients, healthcare, industry and research professionals about creating personalized medicines for each and every one of us. Together, we head to the holy grail, mainstream precision medicine. Here's your host, Scott Buckler. Hello, everybody, and welcome to our Precision Medicine Forum podcast. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by Dr. Leslie Stark, who's a reader in cancer cell signaling and prevention, and also program director of the MSc in Cancer Biology and Precision Oncology. So, uh, Dr. Leslie, um, tell us a little bit more about yourself and, and your work today in your role as a reader in cancer cell signaling and prevention. I started off, um, I did my PhD in Edinburgh in the Department of Pathology, and, and that was focused on squamous cell carcinoma and renal allograft recipients. I then moved to St Andrews to do a postdoc where um, my work began on NF-kappa B signaling, which is what I've um, carried on working on for the rest of my career really. Um, I moved back to Edinburgh and started a postdoc with uh, Malcolm Dunlop um, looking at the um, aspirin and colorectal cancers. So I don't know if your um, listeners know that um, people who take aspirin regularly have uh, up to a 40% reduced risk of developing colorectal cancer. Um, however, um, the recommendation of aspirin for cancer prevention is very controversial because there are side effects associated with taking the drug. So listeners, don't everybody go out and take aspirin. Um, therefore, um, it's really important to understand um, how aspirin is working against colorectal cancer um, for two reasons, really. One, so we can identify biomarkers. So this is where the sort of precision medicine um, idea comes in at the moment. So what we're trying to do is um, identify those patients who would most benefit from taking aspirin, um, so biomarkers of response, and also drug targets. So that's what I've been working on. Um, I became independent um, after two postdocs, I think, um, got a fellowship um, and have um, yeah just pursued a career in, as an independent um, cancer researcher, still focusing on that area of research. And I actually did just become a professor. I'm not officially a professor yet, but I will be um, as of right. August. <laughs> Brilliant. So we, I came across yourself and the work you've been doing through the uh, notification uh, on link, uh, it was Twitter actually, on our Twitter feed from uh, yourselves um, and the University of Edinburgh talking about uh, this course around precision oncology. Uh, which caught my attention and obviously explored a little bit further to understand a bit more about it. So tell us a little bit more about the cancer biology and precision oncology course. What, what, when was the course created and, and what's the, the key aims? So um, this year, actually, the course starts in September 2022 um, and it's right. the first year of the course. It's a three-year online master's programme that people can do um, part-time, so it's aimed at um, professionals who would like to do a master's um, alongside um, their work or further studies or whatever. Um, it came about um, really because um, I had noticed that in Edinburgh, despite being um, uh, one of the world leaders in cancer research and translational cancer research, we didn't actually have any master's degrees in cancer. Um, okay. And so um, this seemed a very good way forward to do an online um, master's program in that area. 
The reason we made it cancer biology and precision oncology is because historically there's been a, a, quite a big divide between those scientists who study the sort of mechanisms of um, cancer cell progression and cancer etiology and those scientists that translate that into clinical practice. So the aim of this, um, this program is to try and bridge that gap so that um, students will get a really deep understanding of the molecular basis of cancer and they'll understand how that can be translated um, more rapidly, I suppose, because that's what we need. We need to, to get those uh, that understanding quite quickly into clinical practice and patient benefit. So that's the yeah. aim of the programme, and that's how it's yeah. been set up. How has it been received so far? Obviously, starting, what, September, we're um, a couple of months away now. What, what, what's been the response? We have had quite a good response, actually, given that... Um, we, we've had a very short marketing period um, because really um, the it took till February of this year to get all the um, the details onto the university websites and everything. Mm -hmm. So and the application process up and running. So we have had a, a relatively good response. Um, we are limiting numbers for the first few years because obviously um, being a new program. Um, we don't want to have too many students. We need to get ourselves, um, make sure that everything's running smoothly. So um, so we're limiting at, um, to 25 and we certainly have far more applicants at the moment. But um, I think it's one of those things with online courses that you just have to wait and see who turns up um, in September. Um, but yeah, we have had a good response. I'm quite happy with that. In terms of precision oncology, it's an area obviously at Precision Medicine Forum have covered. Um, we'll be heading to America this year and to Berlin to, to look at it in more detail. From a um, university uh, course perspective, training, uh, education, PhD uh, aspect of things, is it something that those working in oncology see as a, another string to the bow or is it something that's essential really to the future of their their work in this field i think it's something that's going to be essential to the the future mm. of work in this field because i mean it really is that's where it's going i've just come back from the british association for cancer research um their 60th anniversary conference actually and um Basically, you could say that pretty much every single talk had aspects of precision oncology. The huge growth in omics um, technologies um, has allowed the sort of generation of huge amounts of data um, from both molecular um, aspects of cancer and from the clinical aspects of cancer. And I think that the the understanding of how to use that data um, and how to analyze that data is going to be um, where precision oncology is at in the future. And so I think that's something really that, that students um, and PhDs are going to have to um, concentrate on. What is going to be really important is artificial intelligence or machine learning um, okay. in order to you sort of get deep, you know, to be able to deeply analyze that data and to get the most out of it. And it is an area that isn't really that natural to biologists. So I think that that's something that people, you know, an area that people should study and it's hopefully something we're going to, to introduce into our programme um, in the next few years. So in terms of the programme and the course, you've touched on it briefly in relation to what it's about. How is it broken down then? What, what, what specific areas or uh, 
chapters, if you will, will, will you be covering and looking at throughout this course? So the first year um, is divided into five um, separate courses. So each of the five courses is, well, four of them are five weeks long and one of them is 10 weeks long. Okay. So the four, the four um, shorter courses are... Um, focused around the hallmarks of cancer so that's this more molecular biology part yep. so there's a hallmarks of cancer one which is the basic hallmarks the original hallmarks the hallmarks of cancer two um is really going to be focused it's sort of tumor host interactions but it's going to be focused more around immuno-oncology um okay. because that's such a huge area of, re of um research at the moment and um then the, there will be a course on is called from bench to bedside which will cover drug development um and um clinical trials right. and then in the middle of that there's a core skills course so in the core skills the students are going to be taught how to analyze an omics data set um okay. so it's um it's called core skills and presentation so i think that one of the big areas and one of the the sort of um the professions that we're kind of trying to aim this to is um, people um, that are medical liaison officers. <clears throat> Sorry, so um, those are people who work for companies who have to communicate um, the advances that are being made in um, in the, the sort of targeted therapies to yeah. patients, etc. And um, I think a big uh, part of their job is in communication. So we're actually going to focus quite a little bit on communication in the program as well. So. So that's an important part of that communication because I myself am, am quite at class green to all this because my previous history working in, in, in the medical side has been around diagnostics, point of care or antibiotic resistance has been something I've worked on in the past. But moving into precision oncology and precision medicine, I found myself thinking, well, you know, I'm into a totally different uh, field here altogether. But the, the similarities with diagnostics and the Medicare and pharma side of things, there's a lot of synergy there. But the communication, it's really key because I talk a lot about genomics, biomarkers, multi-omics, liquid biopsies, and the words are slung around quite often, certainly by me, with a kind of understanding that, that the people think he must know lots and lots about <laughs> yeah. these things. The terminology that's within precision oncology, obviously there's lots used within oncology now, um, whether it's radiotherapy, screening, etc. But this new uh, set of language, I suppose, how integral is that to the understanding? Is it more about learning about what precision actually means than it is the actual carrying out of it before you can start to practice it really in a sense yeah i think there's a bit of both actually so you have to understand that that those terminologies in order to know um how useful they could be you know liquid biopsies as an example um you know or, or could really be the the way forward in terms of diagnostics well they hopefully will be the way forward in terms of diagnostics yeah. um so you've got to understand and to be honest as i say i'm a molecular biologist so some of this terminology is quite new to me well not new to me but I don't understand in depth 
of what it all means. And I'm really looking forward to almost taking the master's course because I think I'm going to yeah. learn a lot exactly. <laughs> as, as, as we go through the first year. Um, yeah. But, yeah. you know, I think that we do, you, need, you know, because liquid biopsy is, is a general term, but you do need to understand what, what is contained in a liquid biopsy and what people, how that can be used and, you know, in order to look at, you know, like circulating tumour DNA or exosomes. Yeah. And, you know, there's a lot behind that that, that people yeah. are, are looking at. Do you think there's a role to play then with stepping outside of the course for a second? Do you think there's a role to be played by within healthcare generally or, or wherever that may be where the new styles of medicine we're seeing whether it is biomarkers diagnostics the role of ai as you said a lot of people associate ai with computers and and, and algorithms etc it's quite generic in terms of how you look at it but do you think this modern use of uh, language around healthcare and the development now we're in 2022 and the speed of which healthcare is developing at is really part of the issue of people not understanding the benefits of of what we've got in front of us or is it more to do with the fact that we're you know it's, we're deemed by resources and finance because i often find that actual the terminology is something that um, confuses a lot of people from the outset yeah i think that's really important and i think that scientists are particularly bad at communicating um, to other people what they're um, what they're doing and I think that that's something that younger scientists PhD students um, coming through now are being taught far more but obviously it's going to be a long time before they're leading fields and the people leading the fields um, are still talk in um, you know they talk in a way that they believe you know I've been to this conference and some of the people you know believe that everybody in the audience will know everything they're talking about and you know even in a specialist audience everybody's not specialist to everything so I think yeah. people have to understand far more that um, the public need to be able to understand this in terms that they they do understand um, and not in jargon um, I suppose. One of the things you touched on there, you, when we were talking b before language, you said about the, the role of people being able to communicate effectively what precision oncology is, and that can be people working in pharma or, or the industry side of things. The industry healthcare relationship and collaboration, you've probably seen it already through this course in terms of uptake and interest from people. Do you think that line is becoming more blurred into to one now there where the industry, certainly in oncology, are as a integral part of of the people that are carrying out um, the work themselves from a practitioner point of view? Do you believe that courses like this are, are, are there to actually sort of harness that collaboration more because it's, it's for both parties? We have had um, interest from industry, actually, um, mm. because they they train their they train people as well who come to do sort of oncology type jobs um and how to communicate that so we have had interest in them and um, that's hoping something that i hope we can pursue a lot more um far more phd students are actually leaving academia and going straight you know that's their goal is to get into industry so i think yeah. that um I think that that gap will be bridged for the fact that there's going to be far more flow between the two, I would think, in the coming years. So in terms of the course, um, is this one of the first to, to be around precision oncology or is the, uh, are you following where sort of others have led? Or am I right in thinking this is one of the first 
around precision oncology. Then. I think uh, this is the this is the only one that I think that has precision oncology in the title. Um, there's a few in campus courses where people can go and do it um, in person um, for yeah. one year um, in the UK anyway, and I'm sure there are in other parts of the world. Um, but it's certainly precision oncology. I think in online, this is the first, um, as far as I can tell. So yeah, I think that hopefully this will will lead the way, and there'll be a few more behind us. Um, but we don't want too much competition. No, exactly. I was going to say that you you <laughs> it's better to have it all to yourself. Coming back to academia slightly, we've um, we were in um, Stockholm recently for our Nordic Precision Medicine Forum. At the end of say recently, the end of April, the time's going quite quickly. But we had a, a lot of delegates and people coming in from academia and the Karolinska Institute, uh, which is obviously a prominent European institute, um, and those based in the, from there and those that had been there and, and gone on to other things academia's role in healthcare in general aside from just precision oncology and precision medicine is is obviously huge is there a barrier to research around oncology through funding now that we are not in the european union with the horizon uh program uh, there's been a lot recently about uh, lack of funding and certain projects being able not being able to continue due to this. Where do you, do you see that from your position and, and your role and profession? Do you see that being a barrier to this country, certainly in the UK's work around research and development for, for oncology going forward? Oh, absolutely, definitely. I mean, the the sort of um, the funding landscape at the moment is is I have to say atrocious. I think that one of the biggest funders, um, CRUK, lost um, lots of money in investment during um, COVID and they cut their funding to the, the programmes. I think all programmes, I can't remember by exactly how much, but they cut funding to all their programmes. Um, yeah. So that was a, a setback. At the moment, we still can be um, part of Horizon Europe, but um, the if the Northern Ireland protocol thing goes through and politics um, like go the way that they might be going at the moment, um, I think that um, the European Union could um, withdraw the UK. And that would mean that people who actually ha are funded by that programme now or who are part of one of the, the um, collaborations would lose that funding and lose their ability to be part of a collaboration. And that's just disastrous. Yeah. Um, yeah. So where does that funding come from, if that's the case? If we are looking at the worst possible scenario, and obviously it's been murmured that this is already starting to happen. I think many people predict it would do at the time of, uh, of the vote, the referendum. Yeah. But now this has become more reality. How is this shortfall going to be tackled? in terms of funding coming in obviously we're on a zone so to speak where does that come from the government say that the ukri which is the the body that you know like the body that funds most of the science um through government funding or uk government funding and that ukri will um cut you know like get a new kind of um funding streams that and add to their funding but we've mm. not seen that yet um, and clearly the, the um, UK is in a lot of economic trouble anyway, so um, they spend less on R&D than any, you know, like so many other yeah. European countries 
um, regardless. They don't really, despite all the talk, they don't invest in R&D. Um, so I can't see that that um, that they're going to put huge amounts of money into, you know, really invest properly in, in, in science. And as I say, it's already having an impact. People are leaving. Um, Europeans are leaving. Right. Lots of Europeans have left. Um, so yeah. I've gone back to Europe. Um, yeah. That's a skill base that's then leaving the country obviously but leaving the possibility of being involved in these projects so i suppose coming back to the course if that's a skills gap how do we how do we fill that skills gap funding aside how do we ensure that we're bringing people through whether that's through further or higher education into uh, positions of research and development and is there is there really enough being done at the even at secondary level to place an emphasis on science and, and research and development or is yeah. it do you feel there's, there's, there's something that needs to be replaced there or some kind of plan that needs to be put in place for those coming out of education 16 18 i mean i think you know seeing it from a more senior point of view i think that people coming out of education is really really hard at the moment because there are lim a really limited number of phd places um, yeah. And so everybody's fighting for the same PhD. So most people now really have to do a master's degree in order to do a PhD. So it's extending their um, their um, education, you know, years after they've left school, which, you know, was never the case before. Um, so I think that that's one issue. I mean, I think in schools, the science teaching, I mean, it's, I'm Scot in Scotland, um, and so we have a different education system and we have different um, focuses on our curriculum and everything. And there's a lot of complaints around um, science and mathematics in Scotland, but... Um, Actually, it came out yesterday that we did very well in a different test, which was to do with some more critical thinking and problem solving. And I think that right. that's kind of the area that mm. that people in um, in the schools need to be focused on because the students that come in, um, it's all right if you can, you know, you can count, but or do algebra, but we, you know, it's more of the problem solving and critical thinking and independent mm. learning um, that's actually what um students need you know at university and then coming into yeah. to phds so that's a very that's a very good point just just thinking a little bit about that you talked about there about the critical thinking and the the need to obviously um maybe tweak certain aspects of learning at certain ages to to develop into what's needed in society rather than what's traditionally taught mm -hmm. You touched on something at the very beginning where we talked about AI and artificial intelligence. I know that's something that's interesting. It's obviously something that's part of what we've been talking about today and precision oncology. Do you see that there is a, a skills transfer that can take place? Or do you believe that those working in the IT computer data world will have a role to play in healthcare and could actually be the future healthcare solution providers that are working there then? No. I mean, I think there's a bit of both. I mean, a lot of the scientists who are coming through um, from PhD, so we have a, a precision medicine um, PhD program 
at the right. University of Edinburgh. So that's actually quite well funded. Um, I can't remember how many, but um, there's, I think, about 20 PhDs, and they and there have to have um, a supervisor from the sort of biological sciences and a supervisor from uh, mathematics or physics or informatics um, to try and um, to try and bridge that gap and to make you know to so the biologists can then you know transfer into more um, computer-based scientists and vice versa. Um, so I think that already that is happening um, mm. and. Even you know the students who the students and postdocs who have been working, um, in certainly our institute um, across cancer research now. I mean, they have to know how to do bioinformatics. They have to know how to do data analysis. Um, it's just part of their actually learning. So mostly, yeah, there's a lot of courses that you can go on in the university run courses, or they teach themselves. So that there's quite the the skills in that are certainly much better than me. I mean, I, I'm like <laughs> old school and my my ability to do that kind of thing is quite limited, but the younger people yeah. now do have that those skills and are, are gaining those skills as just part of their general training. So Yeah. What are your aspirations for the precision oncology course that you're doing and the aspirations of, of the University of Edinburgh as well? Is this something that you can see um, becoming more prominent would it be something that you would actually start to break down obviously precision oncology is quite broad as, as is precision medicine do you see um particular aspects of it being broken down into into other online learning courses open university courses that people can take MOOCs which I know are very popular yeah. um do you do you do you have a do you, how do you envisage this sort of developing over this next 12 months two years well, I think at the moment um, it's kind of all hands on deck to on try deck, and get yeah. it yeah, to try and get it up and running for September. But um, I think in the the future, I, you know, I can see parts of it being broken off into to um, separate sort of learning or um, be more publicly available. Um, I think one of the interesting things we're doing in, in the first, the very first course, is we're doing podcasts um, between um, scientists and clinicians um, right, yeah. around a specific um, cancer type. So the idea is that they discuss the sort of molecular basis of the cancer type and how that that's being translated into patient benefit in the clinic. And I think that these podcasts will be really, um, you know, like quite unique actually. I don't think there's anything yeah. like that out there. Um, and something that people might, other people would be interested in. So, um, yeah. you know, I hope we might be able to get them released in some kind of way. Um, I think, you know, breaking it down, I think you're quite right. There's so much to cover. Um, yeah. And a one year, you know, like a, a, a master's, either three year full time or one year part time. Um, that um, I think that maybe breaking it down. Um, into, but I think we don't want to lose the kind of the bridge between the molecular biology and the precision oncology. I think that's really important. So um, we want to keep it as, uh, you know, not just precision oncology or not just molecular biology. Yeah. Um, and then the other thing that um, we're interested in doing is, so at the moment we don't have a summer school. So I think the first thing that I want to introduce um, above what we have at the moment is a summer school so that people can come to Edinburgh and actually um, get some, maybe not hands-on experience, but certainly meet other students and scientists and, and get discussions going. So. so basically looking to make the University of Edinburgh maybe a forum for a best practice on on precision oncology yeah. as a UK and European hub, really. I suppose. Yeah. 
Yeah, I yeah. That, yeah, I mean, I think that would be, be the, the future. Um, and, uh, you know, certainly in teaching and precision oncology, we have our digital education um, uh, units are like some of the best in the world and have a lot of experience because we already have a lot of online courses. And, mm. um, and they're helping us a lot, actually, to get... So not only is the content good, but the way that we're, we're using that content for online teaching, I think, is going to be really interesting. Um, lots of activities, lots of workshops, lots of um, hands-on yeah. experience and data analysis. So, um, yeah. That's fantastic. Well, thank you very much, Dr. Leslie Stark, for your time today. Um, we will share details on the course at the University of Edinburgh um uh, on our website and we can put them out and we wish you all the best for the course and thank you for your time on the precision medicine forum podcast that was precision medicine forum podcast visit precisionmedicineforum.com to get all the show resources and find out about our upcoming episodes and events and please subscribe or follow on your podcast app so you never miss an episode